going to get started because we do like to keep this uh, very much on time. And uh, and so the way this works, I know there's a couple of people who haven't been here before. Um, and so we keep this um, right on the hour. Uh, we have, oh, there's Daniel. Yay, Daniel. <laughs> very good. Um, we have, um, good to see you. Uh, so I'm going to, um, I'm just going to give you a little introduction about Syntropic and then uh, um, do a little piece um, on Syntropic, which is the synergistic accounting piece, and then introduce you to Daniel and um, uh, the way that we've agreed to work is I'm going to ask him some questions. Uh, you get to uh, um, ask him if you have about five minutes of um, Q&A. And then, uh, and then we have a Centropic alumni, um, um, Manuela, who's in um, the Netherlands, she's not here yet, <laughs> um, who is going to be uh, presenting her business uh, for you. So, um, Centropy uh, is the, the opposite of entropy, and it was a word largely coined by Bucky Fuller, who is, um, has been my sort of main mentor and teacher for over 30 years. Who's familiar with Bucky's work to some degree? Yeah, okay, good. Um, so um, I was introduced to his work when I was in my 20s and um, I fell in love with it and it sort of literally changed the course of my life. And, uh, and so I had the good fortune of being at a seven-day event on the big island in which Jerry spies up who's on this call, um, was one of the co-presenters around Bucky's work. And Amy Edmondson, um, his protege of the last three years of his life. And and uh, and so, you know, we took a deep dive into his work, building models and, and et cetera, et cetera. It was a very profound experience. But what I've been doing, it, to the best of my ability, is I've been applying his work to how we build enterprise and human coordination. So Bucky kind of was all about how we are understanding the laws of nature, generalised principles, he called them generalised principles, true in all cases. And he spent most of his time in the built environment, so building cities, ecosystems, cars, houses, you know, things like that, um, that to demonstrate uh, that if we apply the the, these rules to our um, our designed environment and to the way that we live, uh, we would uh, be in partnership with nature and the universe versus against um, it. Uh, and so my passion has been how to apply that to enterprise design and human coordination. And that's kind of like a really high-level overview. But, uh, you know, I'm deeply committed to tropic, the, the term that he coined is the opposite to entropy. And entropy is the current theory that science has is that we're in an entropic universe or a degenerating universe, that where um, the universe is sort of like wearing down or um, disintegrating like rust is a simple way of thinking about this. And so Bucky always argued that the that syntropy and entropy go together and syntropic is towards a higher order for an eternally regenerative universe. 
And so, you know, Daniel's work, this is where it all meshes together because Daniel's work is about re designing regenerative cultures and regenerative is quite potentially another word for syntropic. Uh, and so the, the reason that we chose syntropic enterprise as a it, because we wanted to be clear that this is a new way of thinking about how we do enterprise design and human coordination. Uh, and that um, we want to prevent, if possible, if at all possible, it's a big um, intention, uh, we wanted to prevent greenwashing and, um, and uh, co-opting uh, the intentionality of what we're trying to do. And so um, creating a new language set around that. And it's interesting because, Daniel, I don't know whether you remember about... Um, I don't know how long ago, it was a while ago that you and I had a conversation about syntropy. <laughs> um, and so I remember the day that it was like, this is what syntropic, um, what we need to be doing. So we put syntropic enterprise, the term, into the creative commons. So I don't own it, no one can own it. Um, and our purpose is that, that we see over the next decade more and more syntropic enterprises. What we're considering is everything from legal to governance to finance to provisioning to enterprise design, enterprise architecture, all of this um, to enable human and earth flourishing and thriving. Uh, and the term enterprise literally is because it means endeavour. And when people come together to create things, um, how do we do that in a way that honours the future, but also honours the individual agency of each um, each person working in community towards the purpose that we're holding? So that's kind of like a really high-level overview. And um, we have an amazing community that's growing around the world. We've got people from 16 countries now that are working in this sort of area. Um, some of the grads from the masterclass are on this call. And um, I don't propose to have all the answers, um, um, but, you know, my job is to sort of seed the conversation and part of these calls is to bring in people like Daniel and the other guests that we've had in the past to really be able to, you know, to, this is, you know, generate um, uh, higher orders of thinking and response to how we can do this. And that's kind of like the high-level overview. Um, and I just wanted to um, give you a sort of a slight taste of um synergistic accounting. Uh, and so this is this is an integral part of what we do in Centropic. Um, and so let me give you a context for this. Who's ever had the experience of contributing your value to something and actually not having your value recognised, acknowledged um, in a way that feels honouring to you? Anyone had that experience? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, what we've done is we've, and I know this is a huge piece. I'm just giving. I've got like five minutes to give you this huge piece. But what we've done is um, in our in our sort of like economic model, um, and the economy is care of the home. You know, how did we get the economy care of the home to what we currently have? Uh, and so um, is that essentially right now we've debased value down to a monoculture and that monoculture is money. And so, you know, the argument that I often have with people is 
tell me how how you would put a dollar price on an experience, for instance, of being present to the birth of a child. And when I ask that question, is there a part of you that goes, there's something about that that feels violent or violates my humanity? And so how then do we invite the complexities of value into human engagement and coordination? How do we honour and recognise that we're multidimensional humans and that we have far more to contribute than just, you know, our time traded for dollars? And so... What synergistic accounting is, is it's 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 based on, um, and, you know, it's a work in progress. This is not a fixed element, but it's based on Bucky's 12 degrees of freedom, which has a whole geometry behind it. I'm not going to go there. But what we're doing is we're looking at, and it sort of comes from the question, how do we increase the degrees of freedom or optionality for increased number of days forward for all life. And, and so um, what we've done, and this has been applied, um, just so that you know, um, uh, one of the, the tools that we have in Centropic is um, a tool that we're currently calling the Trust Manifesto, which is an enterprise architecture agreement of how humans can come together and coordinate. And this was first deployed in 2015 um, in my local community when I held an event and a group of random strangers from very diverse backgrounds came together um, around the agreement that we created that was put into a legal trust uh, and co-created a world-class event without a single human upset and entirely self-managed. And the core threshold crossing principle that we used was this synergistic accounting. And so in practice, what it is, is we ask people to name and to record what they have the capacity, the wording is really important here, what they have the capacity, willingness and desire to bring to this enterprise and how to do that in these six domains. And the domains that we're calling it for now is matter, currency, tools and artefacts, know-how, warm data, wealth and well-being. So that's one side of the equation. And then on the other side of the equation, for bringing this, for bringing this, what do you expect in return in these same domains? And we've recognised that this record is mutable. It could change the moment you've recorded the first round. Because if you're a parent and you had 30 minutes ago, 10 hours a week to bring to this project, and you get a phone call that your child is in emergency, and now you have zero hours, how does the system accommodate and adapt to that? Because we're humans, you know, how do we show up in that? But what this does when you apply it is it actually presences the whole human in their multiple, multiple dimensions. 
but it also enables us as humans working within this in, this um, environment to learn you know, self-development. So who has ever had an issue naming their value out loud? Saying, I do this really well. Yeah? Okay. Who has ever had an issue asking for their value to be honoured and recognised in different ways? Anyone? Yeah. And so actually in the design of this, we as humans get to experience how we experience, how, we, how we're honouring and recognising ourselves and our value. And if the environment is created that's supportive enough, we can grow up in that um, and be supported to name value that we couldn't see because other people can see it, to ask for, you know, that we haven't experienced. And then how do we document that and record that as an enterprise? So I know that's like a really high level, um, but that's what synergistic accounting is. I've worked with it. It works. It's beautiful. Um, we're working on technology to support it um, and so on. Um, but it does enable humans to show up in their fullness and bring value in multiple dimensions. So <laughs> we've got a couple of minutes before I'm going to hand over. I'm going to hand over. We're going to, um, to go to Daniel um, for any questions from me. <laughs> Just uh, unmute yourself, raise your hand. Yes, Chris. Yeah, I'm new to this. Uh, and what is the, in which context has this approach been applied? Uh, and and it's, it's the biggest one or the, the at what, what magnitude have we reached with, with that uh, concept? I mean, have we applied that to a, an entire company or have we applied, I mean. Demonstration was the, um, the case study that I shared with Big Blue Sky. Um, but also we're doing it within Centropic World. We're applying it within that. And I, literally before this conversation, I was on call with, um, we're putting this together and putting it into some form of legal code as well. So it, it, it is early stages um, and, and it has been applied and I have seen it work. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other questions? I have another question. Yeah, go, go ahead. Um, what will be the lowest hanging fruit for you where, where you think this will be the easiest to actually uh, concept test or apply? I mean, what, what will be the ideal target for you to apply this? Yeah, so, there's, and so that's a really great question and it's, there's multiple dimensions to that because we're working on several pieces um, simultaneously and the synergistic accounting is one of those pieces. But there's a whole bunch of people, um, I can see the beautiful faces, who, um, <laughs> who have been um, you know, in this community moving forward. And what we've been doing is going through the synergistic audit as humans, as a community out loud, and I can, um, you know, the, the bonding and the connection and the cross-pollination and so on that is happening um, is, you know, simply outstanding. So it can be applied to smaller teams and everything else like that. Yeah, Neve, did you want to quickly, because we've got to <clears throat> I just wanted to respond to him that I heard, to Chris, that um, retrospectively, um, listening to Christine's work, I'm in her masterclass program, um, she is translating the work I've done in a corporate setting with a corporate group where a lot of the elements of these principles I've applied in, in, a, in work, where it, it's working 
more deeply and intuitively with what wants to emerge. And but all the principles that Christine talks about, I can apply to the success of that case study. And the impact was um, a half a billion euro problem in a corporate organization that couldn't be fixed was fixed globally within 12 months and life across the planet was saved. So I've actually seen, I, I am retrospectively, I'm applying the principles to help me understand more deeply. It's like applying the science retrospectively, if that, if that helps. Well, thank you, Neve, very much. So we're going to, um, we're going to move now to Daniel. All right, Daniel. Um, so everyone, uh, I'm, Hopefully you read about Daniel. I know some of you know Daniel, um, but um, you know, true uh, leader in the area of um, designing regenerative cultures. And so, you know, we we agreed. And his book, which I actually have on Kindle, I feel like I should have bought the copy so I could hold it up. <laughs> um, he's, there you go. Thank you. He's done it for me. Um, is you know a phenomenal uh, study of of just different models and everything else like that. And Daniel's, you know, writes prolifically and has a large audience and so on. Um, and uh, really somebody to watch, follow if you're not already. And so this is like a Q&A that we've agreed to. So the question I'm going to ask you, Daniel, is that given your journey to here from biology, holistic science, natural design, Finthorn um, College, to publication of your book, and given that we're in October 2020, can you speak to the experience that is arising for you um, in this moment around the work that you're doing? Mm, interesting. Well, thank, thanks for inviting me and hello everybody. Nice to see some familiar faces as well. Um, I, I want to answer that, I want to pick up on what, what you talked about with regard to syntropy. Um, I, I put already in the chat a link to a conversation I had earlier in the year with Fritjof Capra, where um, we explored this whole notion of how is life a regenerative community, or you could also say a syntropic community. Um, very often we get the, the engineering, physics-minded people um, tell us about the law of entropy and that everything is ultimately uh, running down in the universe. Um, that might the second law of thermodynamics probably holds, but um, the timescales of physics are such that they are looking at cycles that are the evolution of whole solar systems and the collapse of suns in supernovas, and and they're just beyond our timescale. But within the the timeframes of human beings and of life on planet Earth, um, 3.8 billion year, uh, years is a long time. And if we as a species can um, shift our impact from being degenerative and exploitative to aligning with what life does best, as Janine Benius has so beautifully put it, creating conditions conducive to life, then we can actually become a centrophic force in the universe or particularly on this planet. And to, to a large extent, um, the pattern of evolution on this planet could be described as a process of diversification and subsequent reintegration of that diversity at higher levels of complexity. And throughout the history of life, that 
reintegration at higher levels of complexity has more often than not happened through the evolution of new forms of cooperation. And, and I believe that we are now pushed at a point, um, some people call it a species level rite of passage, where we as human beings, um, having spent 250 years in a journey into science and technology and, and created all sorts of wonderful capabilities that um, ancient scriptures have warned us of for a long time, or more recently Goethe's um, Zauberlehrling has, has said, watch out with technologies and the, the, um, the tool can become the master. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, so we, we really, to my mind, are at this critical point where we have to ask deeper ethical questions of why, why are we here? What's the purpose of um, us as a, as a species in this web of life? And how can we, within the lifetime of the generations alive today, um, redesign the human impact from degeneration to regeneration? And um, I think that the breakdown and the chaos that we see right now, the the collapse, when you when you look into the 40 years of research that has been done within the Resilience Alliance and the, the network of um, systems ecologists studying socio-ecological systems for 40 years, looking at the change patterns that occur in these systems. There are things like the adaptive cycle and the panarchy, which is the nestedness of different adaptive cycles at different temporal and spatial scales. What, what we observed is that it is part of this, the way that life works, that as things complexify, um, the, the patterns and the connections in systems also have a tendency to become rigid because everything is already spoken for. Everything is connected in a certain way. So in order for, the, for evolution to do its thing, you need a period of dissolution of, of what, what seems to us like collapse and breakdown um, in order to liberate enough creativity in the system for the redesign. And I, I personally think that, that what we're observing everywhere around the world now is exactly that. Um, we're seeing that patterns that no longer serve are beginning to dissolve because they're simply running up against biophysical reality. And our great opportunity now is to really step into this and, um, and I mentioned the rite of passage. It really is about mature membership in the community of life. It is about understanding that the, the story that nature is something other is, is just a mental construct that hasn't served and that we need to understand that we don't have life, life has us. We don't own the land. The, we belong to the land. The land, we emerge from the land. And the, the, this has deep implications for how we organize our economic systems, how, how we organize our systems of dealing with, with value, how we move away from this terrible notion of ecosystem services and, and always just ascribing um, utilitarian value to life and move back to um, giving all of life intrinsic value and, and becoming humble custodians, stewards of um, the way we fit in place. And, and for me, this is a process of re-inhabitation, um, becoming local again, re-regionalizing our systems of production and consumption, re-regionalizing our economic systems and um, our systems of governance in order to enable fitting the human presence back into the biophysical patterns of life. And 
um, in the last four or five years, I've seen a huge flourishing of initiatives um, working on that. And while it's 10 past 12, I'm also quite hopeful that um, things are changing uh, very fast. Very nice. So, um, so what you know in, in your work, uh, what what are, what are the um, what are the the greatest tensions that you feel um, that you need to sort of um, you know that are really present for you that that are. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess that's my question. what's the yeah, what's no. the yeah, what's the challenge or the tensions that that are are, um, are limiting the potentiality of of this conversation that that you know you're deeply committed to? What what I personally sense a lot at the moment is that that because we're waking up to the global problematic, as the Club of Rome called it fifty years ago, um, we're beginning to. Also, at this time where, because of the pandemic, we're, we're spending a lot of time on Zoom calls, um, there's a lot of effort being made into creating the network of networks and the global collaboration. And everybody is kind of trying to, to find like-minded people everywhere in the world who are working on this. And, and this is wonderful. This is like, you're probably all familiar with the whole story of how the, the, the caterpillar transforms into the butterfly and the linking up of the imaginal disks along the, the length of the, the caterpillar actually forming the network out of which the butterfly then emerges. And so in that sense, that's what we're also seeing. We're seeing the linking up of local and national initiatives into a global network, and that's important. But what I'm seeing as a tension, and, and I'm living as a tension in my own life, is um, how much energy to put into this global networking and listening to other people in a bioregional regeneration initiative in Costa Rica or in, in um, the Salmon Nation of the Pacific um, Northwest um, and, and, and sharing their stories and learning from them, and, um, but at the same time losing energy in that, that could also go to local action, regional transformation in place. And right now it... It, it seems to be more sexy to be building these global networks than to actually do the work on the ground locally. And, and for me personally, that's a strong commitment for the, the, the years to come is that while I feel like since my book came out in 2016, um, I've spent a lot of time waited on the global network and the advocacy. Um, now for me, it's time to really... Uh, focus on the island that I live on, Mallorca. It's a perfect case study for bioregional change because it's an island. And um, to truly like reweight the efforts. Maybe I, I spent 70% of my time on the global and 30% of my time on the local. And now I really want to flip that around and um, actually focus on the local and the regional. I mean, we, we always have to work in this in a way that is global global and local at the same time. Um, I think this word global is, is something that's really worth, it's a, it's a meme worth spreading because um, if, we, if we're too local, we've, we lose context and we can fall into the problem of um, this sort of lifeboat met metaphor of the world's going to bits. And so um, let's just make sure that we're fine in our little bioregion here, which of course is ludicrous. Um, the only way to do this is to do it in global solidarity, enabling people everywhere to build 
regenerative cultures in their place. That's why there's a plural in, in the title of my book, Designing Regenerative Cultures. Um, you have to understand that because we belong to the earth, the earth doesn't belong to us. We're expressions of place. So every solution, every um, pathway towards regeneration has to be place sourced. It has to come out of the what I call the biocultural uniqueness of place. And therefore, it will be different in each part of the world. And, and only then do we fall into life's centropic patterns where diversity is key, because diversity gives us resilience and, um, and enough redundancy that when the unforeseeable happens, we, we can respond because we, we have um, not put all our eggs in one basket or not created megastructures that are too big not to fail like most large um, multinational corporations are. Very nice. And so, is there? Are you finding in Mallorca that that, that the, there is a, um, a a growing like a community of practice around this on you know locally? Is is that because that's what you're animating? That's it's it's a slow process, um, and I, I also see cultural differences in different places. Like in some places, people come together as very small groups of five or six people and then they create the blingy website and the, the blingy slide deck and saying we're now this local regeneration or regional regeneration initiative. Um, in other cultures, that doesn't work. Like here in Mallorca, if, if, you, if you're too pompous at the beginning, people don't listen. You have to, I spent 10 years here seeding um, memes, seeding new ways of thinking, seeding questions rather than answers and solutions. And I see these questions now being asked much more than, than 10 years ago. And it, uh, coming back to another thing that you said at the beginning of, of not, not having one's value recognized. Um, I learned this from my PhD supervisor who um, many times would, would plant seeds in my mind. And then I would, 10 days later, have this moment of creative rapture of, of feeling like I just had this amazing idea. And then I would come to him and tell him this idea. And he would sit there and, and, and be encouraging and, and say, wow, that's a great idea. And then I'd go home and then I think, actually, 20, two weeks ago, I talked to Seton about this and what I, the big idea actually was seeded by him, but he never mentioned it. And so I just want to highlight that it's not so important whether you get your value recognized. That's everybody's ego trip. The most powerful way to see change is to seed memes and ideas in people's minds and then watch them, take them on to the point that they truly believe it was their idea. And then have the work done internally to say, I'm not going to get triggered by this. I'm not going to get on my soapbox and say, I told you so. But to celebrate the fact that you've achieved the best way you can see transformation, which is you've planted ideas and people have taken them on to, to a degree that, that they own them now. Um, yeah. That's why I also would, would always be careful with creating yet another meme and another group of and another label. Um, what I feel is what we really need to do is, is to weave between these different approaches and see them all as pathways of exploration. Um, the, the other theme that goes through my book is that maybe I'm asking, like in the book, I'm asking 250 questions and there's a sort of red thread running through the book that starts with a quote by Einstein and a quote by Rilke that brings up the importance of asking the right question and brings up the importance of living the questions um, even if we don't know the answers and that we, that we sometimes mistakenly 
focus on give me the answers, give me the solutions, or how do we scale this up? It's another not understanding how life works. Life doesn't um, pick up a pattern that works and then scales it to be humongous. It, it scales out rather than up. It always transfers the pattern in a way that is sensitive to biocultural uniqueness of place. So too many solutions around the world that looked good in the experimental stage of local or regional work when applied at a global scale have become unsustainable because they're not connected to the uniqueness of the, the actual situation of people in place. So we've got a short um, couple of questions. If anyone has a question for Daniel, just unmute yourself and, and, and go ahead, Neve. Um, thank you, Daniel. That was amazing. And I, oh, I just want to say your um, explanation of true leadership was just breathtaking about kind of igniting the light in others. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, but I'm really curious about in what you've explored around the world and witnessed, have you seen a lot of successful case studies? That's question one. And then is there a disconnect with those case studies being shared across the world? Is there an opportunity to uh, create a more streamlined way of sharing those stories? Thank you. Um, one, I'll, I'll, I can put it in the in the chat afterwards that, um, because we started off talking about Bucky Fuller. If you, if you Google Buckminster Fuller Institute Regenerative Projects Map, you'll you'll find one of those links to a Google map that um, I helped David McConville, who was on the chair of the Bucky Fuller Institute until recently, build when we worked for a project with the, the um, Commonwealth Secretariat. And basically on that map, you will find little icons that you can click on all around the world. And um, all the projects, it's not that it's an exhaustive map of these are the regenerative projects around the world. And it's a map of regenerative projects around the world that are so mature that they've actually got a really good website, that they have a little video that describes what they've been doing over the last decades. And so in terms of if anybody needs a little bit of an injection of hope and um, and positivity, um, do a binge watch of the videos linked in on that map and you will feel a lot better about our species than, than, than you might be before you started. Um, and, and also, I mentioned this this initiative that we started in 2016. Um, Christopher Cook, who's on the call, was was there in the room um, with the Commonwealth Secretariat. Um, it's a it's been a slow pro process that has morphed many times. But the very fact that the current Secretary General of the Commonwealth um, called a meeting that was called uh, Regenerative Development to Reverse Climate Change and brought some of the leading lights around the planet together to explore this. And that how this has now evolved to a platform that is called um, Common Earth. And um, initiatives in various countries around the world where at the national scale, so for example, New Zealand and Costa Rica, not even being a Commonwealth country, but having joined this group, um, are now working on regenerative roadmaps at the national scale. But again, understanding that to, to take a nation to regenerative patterns, you have to work with the bioregions within the nations. It's The bioregional scale is, is, is critical because we, we've kind of neglected that scale. Um, we've, we've built a world that where the local and the global are somehow in intention, and rather than finding the potential of 
um, bringing them together in service to life at the bioregional scale. And um, other projects, some companies that, that I would highlight is, for example, the the, the um, Hierba Mate company, Guayaquil, um, which is based in California and um, Australia uh, and, and um, Argentina. They set out from the very beginning with the mission to be First, they called it market-driven conservation. Now they call it market-driven regeneration. And um, I, would, I would encourage you to have a look at, at how they built their entire company based around the notion of providing syntrophic value for, for life first, and then through that, generating value for the um, uh, customers and, and their owners. Um, yeah. And, and do you think there's a need for those stories to be shared and joined up? Would that there be a value in that of what you've observed? I think a lot of people are already starting down that track. There are many, many platforms that are, are trying to highlight those things. I'm currently working with a, with a team of uh, filmmakers from Argentina to, to highlight uh, some of the, the amazing stories that are out there in a, in a new documentary. Um, Many of you will have seen um, Kiss the Ground, um, the, the film about regenerative agriculture that, that recently came out. It's a little bit American-focused and, and American in tone for my liking, but it's a, it's a wonderful um, documentary giving, giving examples. But yeah, the quick answer is we need to spread these inspirational stories. We are bombarded by it's too late, um, it's all over, might as well party on the Titanic kind of messages around the world. And so the more we can inspire people by sharing local stories um, and regional stories of, of, of us stepping back into our, what we came here for, which is to, to create conditions conducive to life, the better. So um, thank you so much, Daniel. Um, we're now just going to move to Manuela, a Centropic alumni. And I, you know, part of what we do is we like to um, that that people are out there that are applying these principles in their own um, work and in their own way um, uh, get um, uh, get to share their stories and we're all learning and it's all um, you know community of practice um, so Manuela you have the floor Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Christine, for the introduction. And yes, as uh, Christine mentioned, my name is Manuela Damont. I'm a Centropic alumni, but I'm also an aspiring Centropic coach. The more I hear of this, the more uh, excited I get about it. I'm originally from Switzerland and I'm uh, married to a Yorkshireman and the proud mother of three girls. And I started my career in risk and insurance as a risk and insurance advisor for Shell International, which brought me to London at the ripe age of 26 in an expat role and the realization that what I thought was going to be the pinnacle of my career, an expat role, international travel, multi-billion dollar projects, ultimately left me empty, lonely and lost. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, sort of like been at the point of this as well. Um, so in 2003, I took a year sabbatical and I traveled the world and on beautiful Koh Samui in Thailand. I spoke to somebody on the beach and she was, uh, we were sort of like uh, talking about careers and what we, should, what we would want to do and what would be our dreams. And she said, you know what, you sound like you should become a coach. And I said, like, what are, what's one of those? And she explained it to me back in 2003 and I went, like, you get paid for that. I would absolutely love to do that. And I went back to London, retrained as an NLP, trained as a master practitioner and uh, became a coach since then. Now... Uh, 
to come back to Syntropic. I think what started me off on this journey was like, it was very early on. It was always, collaboration was always extremely important for me. And I vividly remember when I first arrived in Melbourne, I uh, signed myself up to the ICF, the International Coach Federation, and I met a group of fantastic fellow coaches. And uh, I had this idea of bringing six others to my home and to collaborate and to come up with something spectacular. And I, uh, I convinced six of the most outstanding people there to come to my house and, uh, and discuss this idea that I had. Now, interestingly, um, I, didn't, I didn't have an idea. I just knew that if we put our minds together, or I expected if we put our minds together, this would be the best thing that would ever come. But uh, needless to say, when we all sat around the table, the seven of us, there were six pairs of eyes looking at me going like, okay, so what are we doing now? And, uh, and I, was, I, was, I was looking back at them and said like, well, yeah, what are we doing now? And uh, after lunchtime, unfortunately, three of them decided this is not really what they had signed up for and left. And by the end of the day, there was one left that decided, yeah, let's go on this emerging journey together. So I was rattled. I thought, like, what's this? I'm sure with seven of our minds together, we could have come up with something. Why didn't that work? So uh, I thought, like, maybe I need a plan after all, or maybe working by myself ultimately is the thing that I want to do. And that's exactly what I ended up doing for several more years because it felt so much easier. And then uh, a few years later, when I was then by then already in the Netherlands, I uh, ended up co-facilitating a lean-in circle in Elft, which then became uh, Open the Door Leadership, which I co-founded with the wonderful Joanna Nesbitt. And uh, unfortunately, Joanna moved then back to Canada after the first two years. And in hindsight, she took her source idea with her and uh, left open the door struggling for a few years. It kept ticking along, but it had definitely lost its mojo. So again, I could not get this working. What, what, what was this? What was this all about? And yet I could also not let it go. I didn't want to go back to working by myself again because never had I had more fun than when I was collaborating and co-creating and working with Joanna. And uh, we had not only bigger results, but we had reduced stress and workload and, and it was just so much better. And yet I also experienced what Christine describes in her masterclass as a messy human heap. Actually, I've come across plenty of messy human heaps in, uh, in, in my career. So how, do I, how would I avoid that? So I still, yeah, I was still struggling. And yet I also knew from the books that I read that there was another way out there. So I read The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, which talked about synergy. And I read The Seven Day Weekend by Ricardo Semler, where he shares that in his organization, whole departments will agree to take a pay cut to keep the whole team employed. And I would uh, come across Kate Walworth in her talks, where she uh, talks about there's an end to growth, this, this, this chase of endless growth is, is ridiculous and there is a stage of maturity that we can reach. So it was still there, you know, but how, 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 how? So finally, in uh, actually I know the date, Christine, it was the 13th of January, 2020. <laughs> I had an email from Christine in my inbox that said, Manuela, do you want to... Uh, correct the companies how they are right now or do you want to reinvent the models that, uh, that that are new and that will be creating organizations with the future in mind so needless to say i signed up straight away 
and uh, and wanted to learn all about it because not only was she inspiring me she also said that she would have the tools she had done it before so finally I had found somebody who not only could inspire me but could actually break it down into the specific steps I could take and follow to go there as well. So I signed up and um, I came back and my company had since then uh, become Asqua and uh, I had collaborated with, with several people and, uh, and it finally made sense what I had been doing wrong in all these years. So we'll only touch on a few things. There's so much more in, the, in Christine's masterclass. But the first idea, the first biggest thing that uh, became obvious was the source idea wasn't clear. When we came together around ASQA, we came together to create uh, an organization of collaboration. But that source idea was short-lived because once we started collaborating and doing this, then what were we collaborating for? And around that idea, we all had different ideas. Were we doing women's leadership? Were we doing... uh, mental fitness, where are we doing group coaching, where are we doing individual coaching, and what was ultimately the, the goal. So there was no clear source idea to start with. Secondly, I also wasn't the guardian. I wasn't guarding this space that, uh, that would allow us to come together and align behind, um, behind, the, uh, behind this bigger why that we can then align ourselves behind rather than clash somewhere along the way. And, um, and I also made the mistake that I thought that a collaborative organization was a compromising organization where we would take ideas and then contribute towards them. But what we ended up doing, or what I ended up doing, is was washing out the essence, washing out the pattern integrity of those beautiful ideas. That wasn't really helpful. And also, the company was not in the commons, so which gave this sense of uh, ownership and also this sense of, uh, yeah, the, 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 it was fi- financially, it always felt a bit icky that I was the owner and, um, and I was the person in charge. It always left, I think, the expectation and, and, and the questions of, so, so what is this? How, how, you know, if I ever should leave or what, how will we financially do this? So, what do I do now? Oh, yeah, the other thing that I did is I came back with all these ideas and tried to evangelize my team, of course, and uh, anybody who's ever tried to do that will probably know that this doesn't really work. (laughs) I was trying to tell them what to do rather than showing them by doing and being these new principles what it could be like. So what am I doing now or at the moment? What, we're do- what I've decided to do is I live, the, I live and breathe the principles of Syntropic in my own work as part of ASCO. And, uh, and I've started with um, the concept of pre-session, which is where I basically ask myself um, if the big goal of ASCO is to raise conscious leaders which contribute to a society and shape organizations that are uh, uh, create a better world for all, which is the first thing that we as a coaching and training company could do. Um, and I focused on two aspects, which is um, mental fitness, helping people really understand when they get triggered, how they show up less um, uh, well in their organizations and how can they step out of that into more powerful, into more... Uh, um, healthy patterns and the other one is female leadership because um, and female leadership I want to say feminine leadership it's the feminine that needs to balance the masculine and that can of course be the voice of a man or a woman but it needs that different approach so these are the two things that we are now concentrating on and that we want to bring 
in, in, into this world. And uh, the last thing I want to say here is joining Teams in Tropic has brought me in touch with some of the most amazing people I've met. And many of them are in regenerative farming. And what I hear and what I learn from them and Buckminster the Fuller and Christine is that in order to find the answers we need to heal about our planet and ourselves, we need to look at nature. And I think if I, if I want to sort out um, the, the structure of the organization once and for all and the financial, the financial flow in the right kind of way, we have to start there as well. We have to look at nature and see how it works. And, um, and I believe that despite of what we've come to believe many times, the right answers will not be find, found in our heads and minds alone. These answers will be coming also from our hearts, from our souls, guts and our feet. So I'm very excited to be part of this uh, community. I've nowhere landed where I want to be with ASQA, but I know I've got the tools and the team beside me that we can really make a difference and, uh, and help other organizations too. So thank you so much, Christine, for giving me this opportunity. Um, so does anyone have any questions for Manuela um, about her? Her, uh, You know, we're all figuring it out <laughs> um, but, um, about her experience. Yeah, hi, I've got a question regarding um, the comment of integrity being washed out through collaboration. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could expand on that because it's obviously a, a tension. Definitely, I definitely, I'd love to. So, um, so yeah. So my my whole dream was this synergy, right? I want to create synergy. I want to take different minds to come together to solve a problem much in a much more holistic kind of way, in a better kind of way. And yet, with um, if the source idea of Asqua is to really raise the consciousness of of of, of leadership, and I feel that what that looks like and and what needs to happen. I have to be the guide of this and, and, and I need to sense if the ideas that are brought in from other places actually match this or don't. And that doesn't mean that the other ideas are not valid, they might just not sit within ASQA. And I was not protecting that and by then allowing other um, elements to join the idea, the energy fizzled out of me. And I'm sure you've had this before as well. I right? had this great idea and then other people come and say like, yeah, let's make a website out of this. And you never thought it would be a website. You thought it would be a community group or whatever it is. And suddenly this beautiful thing that was so strong and felt so empowering becomes this wishy-washy, yeah, not quite sure if this is really as exciting anymore. Does that help? It does, thank you. So I really have to, I really had to learn to step into this and go like, you know, this is okay, this is your, this is fine, but it doesn't fit the pattern integrity of the other. I'm just wondering, Manuela, um, you know, sometimes it's a bit of pressure when we're like, you know, the source idea and trying to own, you know, own it or carry it. Or, and I'm wondering, now that you've moved into a space of embodying the principles and maybe allowing things to evolve, is that having a positive impact or has that made a shift in, in your own being in how you are showing up yourself? Yes. And uh, one of the things, of course, is that's clear is that I can now talk about my expectation. So before there was no, so again, I'm going to use all these terms from Christine's masterclass. You just have to join this Christine's masterclass. But there's, there's a, I had no boundary conditions with the people coming into my organization because I just wanted to collaborate. 
So I would have lots of people coming to want to collaborate because I can be quite inspiring when I want to, and uh, I can I can make people think uh, get motivated and inspired. And yet I had no conditions as to what that would look like, what my expectations were. I didn't clarify with them what their expectations were, and so we were just in this messy place where we've actually never talked. Are we a match? Is this you know? Are you and me in this place? Going to be a match at least for some time, not forever, maybe, but at least right now, are we a match? And should that work? So it's it's made a huge difference because I can now speak to what I want, and people can decide from the get go: Does I do I like what we're going, where we're going with our squad, or is this not for me? And 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 it's clear from the start. Well, thank you um, very much for that, Manuela. It was beautiful. Thank um, you. But just to let you know, because we're going to close on time, that um, we do this every month. We're obviously not going to do, we're not going to do it in December. Um, but we do this every month and we alternate it from time zones. So the next um, alumni call uh, we have um, is the American time zones and we have um, Jeremy Lent, um, who I'm, I don't know if you can see that, The Patterning Instinct is one of my favourite books. Uh, he's, he's joining us next month. Um, and then the following uh, in January, uh, which is uh, in the Euro um, time zone, we have Jonathan Porritt, um, who's the author of Hope in Hell, and, and uh, so we have him. And, and you know, it, the, the purpose of these is just to give people an opportunity to taste what we're doing, but also to, you know, there's amazing people out there doing great work, and we really like to make sure that they're um, seen, honoured and recognised in this world. Um, and finally, the... The next March class that we've come up, got coming up is not until January in the Euro time zone and February in um, the Americas time zone. So um, I wanted to thank everybody for um, uh, being here. I especially want to thank our special guest, Daniel, from um, Mallorca. It's so good to see you. And I know that, um, you know, Christopher, Daniel, you know, Yvonne, you know, there's people here who threads connect, you know, across the universe. Um, so, I, you know, the shame about this is there's not enough time to sort of like just jump into that. But anyway, thank you so much, Daniel. Um, thank you, Manuela. <laughs> and thank you, everybody else. Uh, you know, I think you came here because you hold the hope of a more beautiful world. And, uh, and so local, local, global. Much love. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.